Good evening and greetings in Jesus' name. The bread of life, the water of life, the one who satisfies all our needs. Appreciated the service so far very much. If we could capture the essence of that last song, kind of reflects my burden and my heart tonight. So pray that somehow I could convey that burden and that God would be glorified and we would be strengthened. I'm here tonight to, by God's help, I want to inspire or encourage you in a specific area of the Christian life. Again tonight, I'd like to think just a little bit about the theme They're from Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, where Jesus told Peter, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom. And I'd like to think tonight about the fact that keys are an invitation to power and opportunity. You know how it works. If somebody gives you a key to a car or a truck, it's intended for you to be able to use that vehicle. Or if somebody gives you a key to the business where you are going to work, it's intended that you can go in and that you have power there to do things and you have opportunity there to do things. And tonight I'd like to think about a message on prayer, and I've entitled it Persevering in Prayer. And again tonight, this is something that's very personal between you and God. Probably nobody here really knows what your prayer life is like, and I certainly don't. Many of you I've never seen before, so I don't know exactly what your prayer life is like. And, and I'm not here tonight to tell you that mine is exactly where I want it to be, but I will tell you that I have found some of my greatest excitement in life on my knees. And I trust tonight that we understand that there's an opportunity here that many of us are not taking advantage of, and that's the burden on my heart tonight, because I believe we as God's people sometimes fail to use the biggest key he gives us. And I wonder how he feels. How would you feel tonight if you gave somebody a key to get in somewhere and you found out they're, out, they're wasting their opportunities? You know, Brother Terrell, and I, I, I appreciated the devotional so much, he talked about we, we labor for that meat that endure, that meat that perisheth instead of that meat that endures. And I understand tonight, I'm with you, I need to go out and earn a living too, and sometimes it gets stressful and sometimes you wish you, you could kind of maybe deflect some of the questions or some of the pressures and stresses and, and maybe come back and, and face that another day, but yet it has to be faced today. I understand that. But I wonder how much time are we spending on the meat that will last forever and ever and ever. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 5. We're going to jump around some in the Bible and read some different passages tonight. I'd like to read this entire chapter because I find in it something that, that thrills me. 
Revelation 5, verse 1, And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within, and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them, listen to this, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and a number of them was ten thousands times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing, and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever, and the four beasts said amen and the four and twenty elders fell down and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever and i wonder tonight how many times have we got excited that god gives us a key that will affect eternity you know friends tonight we live in a culture and i have a feeling it's the same here you introduce somebody to an earthly culture you inter introduce somebody to something that's earthly something that's temporal and you say there's there's dollar signs attached to this and you'll have a long line of people that are willing to spend hour after hour after hour pursuing it and yet you ask those same people how much time they spend in prayer oh well i i don't really have the time And God gives us a key that all of us, it doesn't matter how rich we are, how poor we are, where we come from, what our social status or, or any of that kind of thing, it doesn't matter. God gives us a key that we can use over and over and over. And I believe he wants to inspire us as to how powerful this key really is. And I believe it's a subject that cannot be overstated in the life of a Christian. And I'm not saying at all we should pray all day long and do nothing else because I believe we need to, but I don't think we can overstate the need for God's people to have a healthy prayer life. Samuel Chadwick said it like this, and I think he said it very well, and you've probably heard the quote. He said, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. And I don't profess to understand how it all works, but think about it tonight. If you and I can make a difference in people's souls for all of eternity, and we say we don't have time. We must have a 
an active prayer life. And friends, tonight, prayer is a lot more about getting the heart right than getting the words right. Don't worry if if you have a problem expressing yourself. You see, you don't need to worry about that with God. He understands us. He understands us so perfectly. He knows all about us. And it's a lot more about getting the heart right than getting the words right. I like the quote, and I'm sorry I didn't put the the name of the person that, that wrote it down. But he said, prayer is like the dove that Noah sent forth that blessed him not only when it returned with an olive leaf in its mouth, but when it never returned at all. Now, I understand that's a quote that kind of, it needs a little bit of time to wrap around our minds, but think about it tonight, and I I think Oswald Chambers is so right when he says, he wrote in his book, My Utmost for His Highest, he wrote, we tend to view prayer as a means of getting things for ourselves, but the Bible idea of prayer is that we may get to know God himself. Think about the song we sung tonight, Oh, to be like the blessed Redeemer. How many of us can we honestly say that is our prayer and desire? And he goes, the songwriter goes on and he says, I'm bringing you everything. I'm surrendering everything to you. That is the essence of a prayer life. Let's turn now to Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Luke chapter 11, verse 1, and it's talking about Jesus teaching them here about prayer. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, for the door is now shut. And my children are with me in bed, I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is, his, that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If he then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And this is a passage of scripture that can serve as a tremendous encouragement, or perhaps at times it brings a lot of questions to our heart. And I'd like to explore a couple of those questions tonight. Why do the promises of verse 9 seem to be so far from me? Where Jesus said, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Or why, if the Bible says everyone in verse 10, where it says, For everyone that asketh receiveth, does it so often not seem to include me? Why does it seem like sometimes I get the answer right away and sometimes nothing? And if God is indeed the way he's pictured in verses 11 to 13, why do I not seem to get what I ask God for? And I'm not here to clear up all those questions in your mind tonight. 
But I'm here to say that I think we need to continue to wrestle with this, and I think we need to remember what Oswald Chambers said, that we tend to view prayer as a way to get things for ourselves when the Bible idea of prayer is to get to know God himself. And we go back to the beginning of the passage, and I believe it's one of the most profound things, maybe one of the most profound statements or, or requests that was ever made in the Bible, where the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Have we ever said that? Have we ever had a desire for that? Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us what you had in mind when you said we are to be people of prayer. And I believe prayer is the beginning of the only way that sinful man will make it into the presence of a holy God for all of eternity. Think about it tonight. Prayer is our lifeline. Prayer is our connection with God. And the Bible says in Romans that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth Confession is made unto salvation. And a little bit later on in that passage it says, For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friends, you, you talk about opportunities on earth. And I know they come to us in earthly things. And, and later we want to talk about some more distractions. Because we're living in a time of tremendous distractions. And, and you know what? We so easily say we don't have time for prayer. And if we stop and analyze our life and how much time we're spending on phones and how much time we're spending on things that are not eternal, how quickly do we say we don't have time? And friends, tonight, of all the amazing advances in technology, our son was just in Central America. And you know what? We... We couldn't only hear his voice, we could see his face because of the advances in technology. But all that pales to the miracle of the fact that when we as sinful man talk to God, and we want to go through some, some points I believe we need to, to make sure we have lives that are are being biblical and, been, and doing what the Bible says in preparation and so forth for prayer. But when we talk to God, he listens. That's a lot further away than Central America. And he listens. And he translates those words into blessings and into answers and into inspiration and into courage and encouragement to keep on going. And I wonder if how many of us tonight have this attitude that the disciple had here when he came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And again, this is very personal. It's a very personal thing, but I, I believe one of, the one of the things we're going to be the most thankful for when we finally stand before God and he analyzes our life and then things are pronounced, one of the things we're going to be the most thankful for is that we had a connection with him on earth. And not just some haphazard, and maybe if it suits, and here a little and there a little. Not just that kind of a connection, but a connection that shows we wanted that connection with all our heart. Teach us. Teach us to pray. Teaching is a wonderful thing. I don't know if any of you have ever been to 
our area in Ohio and to, to one of the Warther museums. But you know, it's incredible craftsmanship. One of, the, one of the greatest carvers that ever lived. And you know where it started? It started on a bench in a pasture somewhere, I believe, and a hobo came along and picked up a little piece of wood and, and started messing with his knife, and all at once he had a pliers, a functioning pliers in his hand that he had carved. And he showed Mooney Warther, he taught him how to do it. And you can come to Tuscarawas County and see the end result. Mooney is no longer there, but you can see the end result. And there's no question that you and I have been drastically affected by teaching. Remember some of those early days when you couldn't ride bike or you couldn't whistle or you couldn't, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of things you can fill in the blanks there. But we've been drastically affected by teaching, by somebody that took the time to teach us. That's the essence of teaching, is passing on the knowledge that you have to somebody else. And I wonder, if, I, if my prayer life tonight was analyzed, would the sum total that comes back, yes, he's been trying to learn from the master teacher. I wonder. I wonder. Jesus was known as a teacher. I don't know how many times we read, and he began to teach. He began to impart knowledge. Friends, he still wants to do it for us today in Mark 6, 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, he said, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher sent from God. Come from God. There's something significant for New Testament believers in that the Holy Spirit is also referred to as a teacher. Let's turn back just a little bit to John chapter 14, verse 26, where it talks about the Holy Spirit. You're not obligated at all to turn to all these passages, but it says here, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So, friends, tonight we have that double blessing. We have Jesus Christ as a teacher. We have the Holy Spirit as a teacher. And I wonder if we're wanting to learn what it means to have a proper prayer life with God. Would I reflect a learning from the master teacher? I'd like to think about four points tonight that I believe are vital to an effective prayer life. And friends, we want that. The, James says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We don't want to talk about just prayer. We want to talk about effective prayer. Because there's prayer, we might refer to this a little bit later, but remember the Pharisee and the publican there, and the Pharisee, the Bible says the Pharisee was praying with himself. That had to be an awful feeling. I don't know if he was ever made aware of that or not, but can you imagine that feeling when you're going through the motions, but you're simply praying with yourself? We want effective prayer. And the first one I have here, the first point I have here is prepare. Prepare. 
There's so many things, so many other things in life. Proper preparation is of utmost, exa- utmost importance. There's practical examples. I know there's farmers here. I know there's people here that work with foundations. And if you don't have the idea to prepare first, you're not going to get very far. If you're going to pour a concrete pad, and well, you know what? Time's here to do it. I know there's, there's sinkholes here and there's things that are going to give way. But you know what? Time's here to do it. The cement truck's here. Let's just go ahead and pour the pad. You know what you've done? You've just made a whole lot of work either for yourself or for somebody else. Prepare. Farmers, if they want that, if, if they want that, that harvest that they know is coming in the fall, the first step in that harvest is preparation. And the Bible has a lot to say about preparation in prayer. And I think sometimes, I think sometimes we're frustrated because we have not paid enough attention to what the Bible says to do in preparation. And the first one I have is to prepare by cleansing. The psalmist said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. In Proverbs 15, 8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Friends, tonight, if there's sin in my life, I need to start by getting rid of that sin. I think the psalmist is exactly right, and I think it applies to today as well when he said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. You know what? If we need, if we want, as we look at effective prayer, we need to come to grips with the fact that if we expect God to move and work and flow through us, we need to get rid of the roadblocks. You know, have you ever noticed how God answers prayer for children? It's a beautiful thing. And you know why it happens, I believe? Because of their innocence. Sometimes we get cynical. We get a little calloused. But children, nobody's ever told them that, you know, it probably won't happen. And and they come to God with, they come with this innocence, with this faith and trust. How often has my prayer life been Hindered because there's other things blocking for God to flow through. And you know what? We talked about repentance the first evening. If repentance, and I believe it needs to be a part of all of our prayer lives, and we're not going to go into those things tonight, but I believe it needs to be a part of all our prayer lives where we, we just simply come before God and we have a time of repentance and confession and we ask him to cleanse us from that and to forgive us from that. And, and as he cleans us up and as he, he makes our hearts clean again where there's nothing between us, now he can flow through us the way he wants to. I believe it's such a vital part of preparing. The second one I have is to prepare by obeying. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 9, He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. And friends, tonight, have you ever noticed how it works? It seems like people, that they want to go away from obedience to God. They want to go away from obedience to God's word. But they want to have a healthy prayer life. Sometimes people turn more spiritual or it seems like they turn more spiritual as they go away from the precepts and, and what we find here, the commandments we find here. It seems like they turn more spiritual. 
But I believe Proverbs is exactly right. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. That needs to be a part of our prayer life where we, at, we tell God, just like we sung, oh, to be like thee. We want to be like thee. And if there's things in our life that, are, that is hindering that, where I'm not being true to your law, help me to obey. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 7, if ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. And you notice what he says right there at the beginning. He said, if you abide in me and I abide in you and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. First John chapter 3, verse 22, And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments. third one I have is to prepare by caring. And I don't mean caring about myself. The Bible says, Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. You know what? How much, how much focus do I have on other people's needs, or is my life consumed on my needs. We've probably all met people like that. They can talk and they can go on and on and on about the needs in their life and we need to listen to that and God cares about that, I understand. But friends, if we want God to care about our needs, the Bible says we need to care about other people's needs. The fourth one I have is prepared by sensitivity. Let's turn back to Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. The Sermon on the Mount here, and Jesus said, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Jesus said, If we remember that somebody has something against us, we've done something against them, and they have something against us, leave your gift, go take care of that, and then come back to the altar. Fifth one I have is prepare by contentment. That's a tough one. You know, sometimes when we're ready to pray and we want to pour out our hearts before God, we just feel overwhelmed to ask him for what we want instead of thanking him for what we have. James talks about, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your own lusts. And I wonder tonight... Am I content? And why is it? We've tried, I'm not, I don't know how many different countries we've been in, but we've certainly been in countries where people are a lot poorer than we are, and I wonder why they're happier. Why is it that, that there's people in the world that have about 10% of what we have, but maybe their prayer life and their praise life, that the, the, the time they spend praising God is more fervent than mine? Why is it? You know why it is? Because we don't understand contentment. And we think we're going to be happy if we have just a little bit more. And it's almost like a chain that, that the enemy of our soul has, and you know, just a little just a little bit what you know, just a little bit more. But how often have we told God, and you know what? I have a feeling tonight. That if, if there was an analysis made from most, if not all, of our lives tonight, we really have more than we deserve. 
We have a lot more than we deserve. But are we content? And finally, prepare by believing. And Brother Terrell brought it to us already. Prepare by believing. Matthew chapter 21, verse 22. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. And I'll tell you tonight, God wants us to have a fervent belief in him that will not soon be shaken or be uprooted. I'm so convinced of that tonight. God wants that belief in him. He wants us to believe in him with all his heart. I talked to a man some years ago that he told, and I don't know how many years he had been a Christian, but he told me he had never really had a healthy prayer life. And I don't know if there's anybody here tonight that if you were, if you were painfully honest with before God, if you'd have to say the same thing, that you've never really had a healthy prayer life. But you know what else this man went on to tell me? He said he struggles with his concept of God. Who is God? What is God like? You know what? We have a hard time pouring out our hearts before somebody that we don't really believe in. That we have some reservations. We kind of have doubts. We have a hard time pouring out our hearts before him. And I hope that man today has found it before God because he's had some deep, deep struggles. But you know where it's going to start? It's going to start with him developing and finding a healthy prayer life. And I hope somebody's helped him to find that because I think until that happens, and see, it's, a two, it's, it's something that just keeps growing and growing and growing. The more we pray and the more we believe, the more we want to pray and the more we want to believe. And I wonder where we're at. And I wonder what would happen if somebody comes up to us. There's a lot of people in the world that are searching and seeking, and they're not quite sure what to believe in, and 2020 hasn't helped that. They're not sure what to believe in anymore, but what would they find if they come up to me and start asking me, what's your view of God? What has God done for you? Why are you excited to be a Christian? I wonder how I would respond. You know what? God, it, 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 he's tended to kind of be viewed in one of two different ways. One, he's a sugar daddy that's just there waiting to dish out everything. You know, you, you barely even have to start breathing the words, and he's there just shoveling it out. Or he's presented as a God that, well, you probably have to work for 15 years before you'll even kind of break the surface or, or get through to him. And you know what? He's none of those. But there's times, I believe, he longs to give us the answers, but he wants to see perseverance in our life, and he wants to see that, belief, that fervent belief that can't be shaken. And he loves when his people believe in him, and he loves blessing them. He doesn't always bless them with exactly what they ask for, except he blesses them even more. In peace, in contentment, in rest, in joy, in a zeal for life. The second one I have is pursue. And you know what? Preparation is only valuable if we then pursue. I've never known concrete crews that got the base, and, and you know, they're really good at it. They get that base all ready, and they put the forms there, and the truck comes. But they don't go after what they're seeking. There's a follow-through. Farmers the same way. You don't prepare that ground just for the 
fun of it. It's to put seeds in there so those seeds sprout. And one day you're going to reap a harvest. And God doesn't only want us to prepare. He wants us to have prepared hearts. But he wants us to pursue. Jesus said in Luke 18.1, and I think we referred to this earlier. He said, men ought always to pray and not to faint. And at least twice in Jesus' ministry, he said, and when ye pray. It was an assumed thing. What am I really pursuing? What am I really pursuing? And you know what? The Bible tells us in the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And I wonder tonight, again, if there was an analysis made of my life, have I had the philosophy of, well, I'm going to pursue these things first, and then at some point I'm going to be able to have time to have a healthy prayer life. How does that line up with Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where it says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And I believe we need to set a consistent time. We need to set an adequate time. We need to become acquainted with what it feels like to take everything to God. I hear of people sometimes that their prayer life is on the road. And, you know, I understand our occupations are different. And perhaps I'm going to overstate some things tonight. I don't know. But may I encourage you to analyze that kind of mindset. I think praying on the road is well and good. I think it's wonderful, but I think it should be extra prayer. You ladies that are here tonight, how would you like if you talk to your husband or you talk to others in a relationship and most of the time you're talking to them, they're also doing something else. I tend to think there'd be some complaints. I think praying on the road is well and good. But I think God deserves a time of our day where that's all we're doing. We often refer to the example of Daniel who went into his house and kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed. And we just had it in, in the prayer uh, service here before the uh, service began out here. And I was just reading in my commentary a little there as the brother shared about Daniel. And it says, you know, that time when they tried to find trouble with him, I believe he was over 80 years old. And now he's threatened with this thing of, you know what, if you make a petition of any god or man besides the king there, you're going to be thrown into a den of lions. And you know what the Bible says? It says he went into his bedroom, he closed his door, as he did aforetime. And I'm not getting the words exactly right. But it says he kneeled on his knees before God as he did aforetime. He had a custom, he had a practice, he had some things settled in life, and it helped him get through life, it helped him be faithful to God. And you know what, when he was dropped into that den of lions, you cannot tell me that that prayer life, that healthy prayer life that he had, didn't make a major, major difference in how it felt to be dropped into that den of lions. What's going to happen to you and I if we face that den of lions? Have we made preparation to face it in peace? 
Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 6, the first part of the verse, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. You know, we've all been familiar, we've been We've been made aware of conflict and strife and unrest. I wonder what would happen to those things if God's people prayed more. What would happen if the philosophies that come from me, and you know, it's so easy to enter into something and just share from my opinion, this is how I feel and this is what I think. What would happen if those things came more from from spending fervent and adequate time in prayer before God so that those philosophies are shaped from a connection with God. I wonder. And you know what? You know where that starts? With those we know aren't spending enough time in prayer, right? No, it starts right here. If I would like to see a difference in how we relate, and, and you know, I go to meetings, and sometimes it feels like too many meetings. And sometimes I've spoken in ways that later I regretted and had to apologize. But if I want to have a vision, if I want to have a, 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 if I have a desire to see those things come from people that are connected with God, it starts right here. To make sure that the things that I'm espousing in life come from adequate connection with God. There was a day some time ago, and I don't know how long ago this is, my schedule was all messed up. I don't know exactly what, the, what all the different factors were. I think I'd gotten home from somewhere, and I needed to get to work. And I don't know if I took any time for prayer, but if I did, it wasn't adequate. And that day stands out to me so clearly. Friends, I simply had no power. It just seemed like everything went wrong. And you know what we can do? We can say, well, Lord, why? But you know what it is? That's actually the mercy of God. It's the mercy of God. What would happen if I could go through life and I could just enter into the day, and maybe there's some people here that do with, with barely a thought about praying, and everything would just go smoothly and everything would just turn out right? You know what would happen to me? My philosophy of prayer would probably drastically change. And you've probably heard the statement, what would happen if the Holy Spirit left my life? But you know what? I think there's another statement tonight that's so true. There's another question that I think we should consider. What would happen if a fervent prayer life left my life? Would people say, well, I wonder what happened to him? Or would it be life like normal? I heard the heartbeat of a young lady some time ago who was facing some difficult life's decisions. And she was facing some conflict with her parents, maybe, maybe disagreeing some with her parents. And she was asking this heart-searching question, when does dad pray? When does dad pray? I don't know when he prays. And friends, tonight, 
If my children leave home wondering when dad prays, I'm afraid I've failed. Pursue. Pursue. Number three, persist. And I think here is where sometimes the dividing line happens because we don't persist. Maybe we get enthused about prayer and we prepare and maybe we get even more enthused about prayer and we pursue but then it seems like well it, you know things aren't happening the way I thought I thought this was just kind of kind of open up before me and things were just going to kind of fall into place and I think tonight God would want to implant a message within our hearts and it's the message of persistence it's the message of persistence Jeremiah wrote many years ago in Jeremiah 33 3 and I may share this verse later in the week Lord willing because it's tied to a story that's very, very precious to me. But he said, call unto me and I will answer thee. And you know what he goes on and he says, and I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Now, friends, I used to think, and, and maybe this is more like he had it in mind. I don't know. I used to think that, you know what, all at once we're going to discover things and we're going to see things. But perhaps God is going to implant hope within our hearts. That, yes, things are okay. And that, yes, Romans 8, 28, where it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And I think sometimes we stop way too short. We stop way short of a fervent and healthy prayer life because we don't persist enough and we don't consider the fact that there's so many things happening. And I can, I can assure you there could be testimonies here tonight of people that perhaps there was people that prayed and prayed and prayed for years. Maybe they themselves didn't even see the results, but the results came later. And God wants us to have that message of persistence in our heart where we not only prepare, we not only pursue, but we persist. We persist. Even when it seems like things aren't happening the way we thought they would, we know that God has promised. You can hang this on the promises of God himself that things are happening. If you're a child of God, if you're paying attention to your relationship with God and you're cultivating a healthy prayer life before God, things are happening. James 1 says we're to count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. You know what? There's times we need a healthy dose of patience in our prayer life. Seemingly unanswered prayer can actually be cause for rejoicing because we can be assured according to the promise of Jesus it's a part of the grand plan. And think about it tonight. Think about that chapter in Revelation 5 where it talks about the, the vials, the odors, the prayers of the saints that were there. Think about it tonight. That things are happening and things will keep happening. God doesn't want us to lose heart. He wants us to persist. Romans 12, 12. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. And I don't know if you've ever read the statistics of nominal Christianity, but look it up sometime. In nominal Christianity, the amount of time, and I'm, I forget what it is, is it seven minutes, is it five minutes, but the amount of time that God's people or professing Christians are spending in prayer is not a very good picture. And how is it for you and I tonight? The fourth thing I have is prevail. 
Don't stop with preparing. Don't stop with pursuing. Don't stop with persisting, but prevail. God will bring you to that ultimate prevailing one day, but you can prevail here. You can be encouraged to prevail. We, at least three times in the book of Revelation, we read about the prayers of the saints. I don't think we're going to turn back there and read them. But in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, when we read this earlier, one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed. And you know what that, that word prevailed means? It means to get the victory. And God promises that to his people, that one day if we prevail in our relationship with him, and if we're fervent and purposeful and meaningful about it, one day we will prevail. It means to get the victory. God wants us to persist in prayer until that day that we ultimately prevail. And again, I want, to, I want to encourage you tonight that there's a key. There's perhaps one of the biggest keys that God gives us. And many people simply leave it in their pocket or they leave it at home. And it's one of the biggest keys God gives us, the key of prayer. And I'd like to just think a little bit yet tonight about what is the quantity and content of our prayer life. What is the quantity and content of our prayer life? Daniel had a custom of praying to God three times a day. And I understand tonight that quantity does not necessarily mean quality. You know what Jesus said about the Pharisees? He said they think they're going to be heard for their much speaking. That's not what cuts it. We referred to the verse earlier in Luke 18, 11, where it says the Pharisees stood and thus prayed with himself. It's not in quantity alone that will impress God, but I wonder if God's people are in tune with him. How long will it take them to properly pour out their hearts before him? I wonder. You know, we're told that you should spend an hour in, an hour in preparation for five minutes of public speaking. Now, how much prayer time do you think it takes to face a society that is anti-Christianity? Many people are anti. They're, they're against what we want. What is the quality and quantity of my prayer life? It's a question only God and I can truly answer. But I have a feeling people around us could help. And you know what? 2020 exposed some things that I find very, very troubling. And I'm just going to bear my heart a little. I don't know exactly where you're at on this. But there are people spending hours and hours and hours listening to conference lines, listening to things, saying this is going on and that's going on, and we better be careful because just in two weeks or in four months or whatever, this is going to happen. And they're spending hours and hours and hours, and I have a feeling some of those same people would say, you know what, I just don't really have time to pray. I've heard things of people staying up till the middle of the night or, or till 1, 2 o'clock in the morning listening to things that I would say, you know what, I, I would have many, many, many questions about whether they're even true, but they somehow have time to do that. And we find a fervency. We, we somehow find an urgency. And I wonder tonight, have, when's the last time God got a hold of our heart and put a vision there of what it's going to look like when it's all over? You see, this is not just some kind of game. One day we will stand before a holy God, and I don't think that I don't have time will work well at all. I got some excellent business advice years ago when we started the print shop. 
And it was very, very simple advice. I was told numbers don't lie. Numbers don't lie. Review the numbers. You can see where things are going. You can see the direction of things. And some time ago, I got to thinking, what if we created a spreadsheet of our prayer life? And you know how spreadsheets work. They're, they're really fascinating. And we'd have to put the zeros in where they belong. But what if we typed in the minutes each day? And I'm not suggesting you necessarily do this. But what if we typed the minutes in each day? And after 365 days, all it takes is a click of a button and you have an average right there. And I wonder what it would look like. And you know what else I wonder? I wonder if we'd put a screen time column in there. And that's easy to do too. Most phones, I think it comes built in. Just check and type that number in. And friends, if our screen time total is double what our prayer time total is, I think we have a problem. And I don't want to just pick on screen time because there's plenty of other things. But really, what is our burden? Is it temporal or is it eternal? I'm going to close tonight with a story that happened when I was in Africa years ago. And it reminds me of this whole thing of prayer. Africa, we found the, the time, and those of you that have been in third world countries, we, we were in Kenya, and, and we found the time is, is a, just a completely different. They operate, you know, you show up a half hour late, no big deal. It's very, very different from North American culture. Okay, you, I showed up one minute late last night and I felt terrible. We had a maid that was going to go to town, and she drove to the agreed-on place, waited, and waited, and waited, and waited, and her driver never showed up. Finally, she just went back home. You think God ever feels like that? We were going to meet today but he never showed up. Shall we bow our heads for prayer? Our Father in heaven tonight, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the clarity of your word that still instructs us how to get the victory, how to find ourselves fervent and strong before you. We thank you for your word that is crystal clear. It comes from spending time with our master teacher. Lord, help us to have a new and a fresh vision and burden that you want us to be people of prayer. And even as things fall apart around us and, and even as more questions arise and confusions arise and societies grapple to know what the answers are, that you want your people to be rooted and grounded in you and spend more time with you in order to have their worldviews and their philosophies and all those things shaped before you. Lord, help us to be people that are known to be people of prayer. Thank you for the disciples' question, or the disciples' request, when they said, Lord, teach us to pray. 
And Lord, we just simply commit each one here tonight to you. We know that you see our hearts. You not only see our bodies, you see our hearts. You see everything about us. You see our desires. Lord, you see where we failed you and we come short. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to have a new, fresh, vibrant commitment to being more faithful in this area of the Christian life in prayer. Thank you for your faithfulness. We commit the rest of the evening to you for your glory, we pray in